Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I read our intro at Psalm 95 and our scripture readings today to a shut-in this past week, my mind was drawn to a time about 20 years ago when I visited a small country church in rural Montana. I looked them up. Their membership stands at around 50 or 60. And on that day, I'm sure less than 30 were present for church that Sunday morning. The old electric organ did not sound all that great. But the people, they sang. Boy, did they sing. And the men's voices drowned out the women's voices. If the roof were not attached, you'd think that it would be bouncing up and down, if not flying off. It was simply amazing. By the grace of God, the culture in that congregation was to sing. It was a joy to visit such a small group of people. You could see their faith. They could see and hear it as they sang so loudly the praises of God, and the joy that they expressed was certainly contagious. The opposite can also be found. Many churches that have so-called praise bands tend to leave the singing to a few professionals up front. It becomes a performance by those on the stage and the congregation merely sits there as spectators. And while some may like the reality that they have nothing that they have to do but to sit or to stand at the appropriate times, the reality is the gift of song is taken from the people. Many who visit will still say that is certainly a joy-filled church but the joy is not expressed by those who are sitting in the pews, but it's based on the liveliness of the performers up front, which really is no different than what takes place in a concert. I suspect some churches become this way because they grow weary of relying on congregational singing, and so they turn it into a performance which is, in fact, contrary to what true worship is. You see, God's people worship as they set their focus on their Savior who redeemed them and as they respond in prayer, praise, and song. Listen to the words that were recorded in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 51, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The ransomed return. That is, those who are covered with the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and are made holy by him, come to Zion, that is, the Christian church. They come 
and they sing with everlasting joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away, for they are confident in the blessings that they have in Christ, knowing that he lives, and whatever crosses or trials are faced in this life will be turned into joys and thanksgiving in the life to come. This depicts a reality that is often found in the scriptures of both a now and a not yet. As God's children, we are certainly redeemed now. As we stand before God restored and forgiven, as Christians who trust in our Savior, our sins no longer accuse us, but we still live in a fallen world. We keep on transgressing God's law. We keep on finding fault with what God teaches in his word. And we still face many hardships and sorrows. Consider the now blessings that the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years or Jairus, whose daughter had died, had as they stood in the grace of Christ. But the not yet, while they suffered the effects of sin, Christ shows by his miracles performed in today's gospel of what he is doing even now in our life and what he will do even more fully when we meet our Lord in paradise. As these two suffered from sin, the flow of blood, the death of his daughter, they suffered, yet at the same time, even as we suffer from the effects of sin, God creates in us clean hearts, and he restores unto us the joy of salvation. By being recipients of the gospel, having been baptized into Christ, we are members of Christ's kingdom even now, but we will fully realize that kingdom in the future. And while we will enjoy the bliss of our souls when they go to be with the Lord, when we breathe our last and go to heaven, it still is, for those of our loved ones who have gone before us, still a not yet. Because while they are experiencing that bliss, they will fully realize the joy of heaven when our Lord Jesus Christ returns on the last day and raises the bodies of all the dead and reunites the souls of those in paradise with their bodies and they will dwell with the Lord forever as he recreates the heavens and the earth in a perfect fashion and we as God's people will dwell with the Lord and all the saints in perfection forever and there, our joys will never end, nor will they be mixed with sorrows. 
The hymn that we just sang, I realize, is probably not the most familiar. I had not picked it for whatever reason in my years here. It does not appear that Pastor Copus did either. I believe Pastor Shaw did, and I don't know before that because I can't do a simple computer search for, for, for hymn numbers beyond that. But it is a wonderful hymn which speaks of the trials that we face now and the blessings received by those who have gone before us. In verse 2, we sang, We are still as in a dungeon living, still oppressed with sorrow and misgiving. Our, take, our undertakings are but toils and troubles and heartbreakings. This is a result of the corruption of our world that our world faces from Adam's sin. God told, God told Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Imagine being there, having felt that just made a little mistake of eating some fruit that we're told not to. I mean, gee, give me a break, he might be thinking. But we have hope. For before announcing that curse to Adam, or those curses, God declared a curse first to Satan, saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. By saying these words to the serpent, God was announcing that his son, born of the woman, would defeat the devil. That Jesus will be the victorious sacrificial lamb. And that the victory is granted to us by God's grace. Therefore, our epistle says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, with that glorious standing before God, our epistle also comforts us, saying, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here again, our, in our, here again, our challenging lives in this world is connected to the joy that we have in Christ, that he strengthens us, and that he comforts us for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. And this joy my dear friends, ought to be seen in the worship of our Creator and Redeemer, one of the reasons for joyful singing, as I witnessed so well in that church in Montana. 
The Lutheran church has long been known as the singing church. Singing belongs to Christians. And singing and song is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. A common, consistent, recurring theme with joy and even songs of lament. But it has become all too common in Lutheran churches where many sit without paying even attention to the words written in their hymnals. I see this as being even more common among men. When did it become fashionable to just sit there, perhaps with arms crossed, and not participate? To show the foolishness of it, who among us would, on the day of the birthday of our child, would cross our arms and not even sing happy birthday to our own child? Then why not also sing to our Heavenly Father who has given us our voices and even more so to our Savior Christ who has redeemed us from eternal death and counts us righteous as saints. In today's intro, we acknowledge that he is God and that we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, and we come and worship the Lord, our maker. We sing and we make joyful noises to the rock of our salvation. Granting us sinners eternal salvation is reason enough to open our mouths and sing boldly. Who cares if it is a joyful noise? Our congregational singing is not a performance, as some of those mega churches would have you believe, but it is a joyful response, an act of worship for the, your standing that you are privileged to have to be in the house of God and to be redeemed by Christ. I have begun preparing for our Christmas services, and so Christmas hymns have been on my mind. Let me read to you this hymn. On Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. On Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. News of great joy, news of great mirth, news of our merciful King's birth. So what do, according to this hymn, all Christians do? They sing. But what is found so often? Verse 2, then why should men on earth be so sad? Since our Redeemer makes us glad. Then why should men on earth be so sad? Since our Redeemer made us glad. When from our sin he set us free, all for to gain our liberty. That's LSB 377. Go ahead and read the rest of the words. They're very fine for us to consider. It often seems like that whenever we want to solve problems and various issues, people do so by looking at all the other people. 
I remember one time as a kid pointing my finger to my brother, you know, pointing. And he said back to me, my younger brother said, there are three fingers pointing back at you. When we want to improve things, it begins with our own selves. It involves the commitment of those whom we already have and are counted as members of our own church. Our own members need to be in church Sunday after Sunday and fully participate by listening intently, speaking clearly, and singing boldly. I know it's deer hunting weekend and people are gone. I know people often say, Pastor, you're preached to the choir today. But you know, you can say, check out this pa- our pastor's sermon. It's available on our church's website. You can go and listen to it there. Or you could say, I'm reminded when my pastor taught me this or preached this as we are then witnesses to our brothers and sisters in Christ. When our children are in church each Sunday and they see everyone in their family participating, our children will do the same. It's time for us to break the cycle that we see in our own church, and it it begins with you. So be cheerful, smile, greet others, listen and sing and make your Sunday attendance your priority. My prayer for you is the same as what St. Paul prayed for in the Colossian congregation. For the third time, I now repeat the words of our epistle, but separate words of what I've said before. We have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer to the Colossians, my prayer for the Lexitonians, I want to see our church grow, not just numerical growth, but also see growth to each soul, to grow in love, to grow in thanksgiving, to grow in charity, to grow in joy, to grow in knowledge. It grieves me when I pray through our membership list and consider those who have not been here in a while. It grieves me to consider Martin Luther's words that those who do not commune at least four times a year, it's to be feared that they despise the sacrament and are not a Christian. It grieves me to see so many who attend monthly or less, although I am glad to see when they come. It grieves me when Bible study attendance is not where it should be. At Ambassadors of Reconciliation, the Lutheran organization, they have found that churches that face the most conflict are the churches in which the Bible study attendance is the lowest. And if we think that we should somehow know enough where we can avoid that, remember what Martin Luther said. 
He said, as for myself, let me say that I too am a doctor and a preacher, yes, as learned and experienced as any of those who act so high and mighty, yet I do as a child who is being taught the catechism. Every morning and whenever else I have time, I read and recite word for word the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Psalms, etc., I must still read and study the catechism daily, yet I cannot master it as I wish, but must remain a child and pupil of the catechism, and I do it gladly. That's what Luther does. Returns to the basics, the ABCs of the Christian faith. And I too, even though I am a pastor and have a Masters of divinity, I am a child and pupil of the catechism and of the scriptures, returning to it daily, and am glad to do so. It's why I attend two monthly pastors' conferences, along with several other annual conferences, and sometimes go to continuing education courses, keep on reading, to grow in Christ. It's why I keep on reading my Bible, and if I am still learning, you can too. Next week is the last Sunday of the church year. It is a good time to consider where we have been this past year and how we can grow in faith and charity in the new church year. We begin with repentance, acknowledging where we have not done our best, And we continue in the grace of Christ, growing into him who is our head. For when we are in God's word, giving our sacrifice of time and praise and thanksgiving, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. The Lord declared in our reading from Isaiah 51, I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. What a joy and a privilege and a blessing. In this section of Isaiah, God is speaking specifically to his people at the time Despite their poor standing with the Lord, God continued to come to them and meet them with his grace, teaching them, admonishing them, and building them up. Just consider that reality, that the creator who made all things cares for each and every one of you. Yes, that you are everything to him. That is why the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of your sin. He has ransomed you through the bitter sufferings, through his bitter sufferings and death on the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead to give you the gift of eternal life. And the Holy Spirit continues to work saving faith in you through that precious word and sacrament that you may continue to grow in Christ, receiving his forgiveness and salvation. And that you may, to use the words of Isaiah in chapter 51 from our Old Testament, that you may return and come to Christ's church with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon your heads. You shall obtain gladness and joy, 
and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.